devotion. We're in Revelation chapter 14. I really want to highlight the first 14 verses, or 13 verses, for the sake of time and, and focus. And what we have here is, again, awaiting the bowl judgment. So we have a rather long interlude between the trumpets and the bowls. But also what we have is um, a contrast between the false trinity in chapter 13, the beast, uh, the false prophet, and the dragon, Satan, uh, and and the uh, true work of the triune God in chapter 14. So um, if, if we had time, and if I could show it, uh, there's purposeful parallelism um, uh, between chapter 13 and chapter 14, contrasting the beast and the lamb. Um, and maybe as we go through here, I'll point some of those out, but uh, it's really fascinating to see them uh, together. Uh, it starts here, I look and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Immediately we're, we're confronted with a number of things. Notice that chapters 13 chapter 14 begin with the picture of a Lamb. Uh, one is a false Lamb, that is the beast of chapter 13. Here's the true Lamb who was truly slain and was truly risen from the dead uh, in chapter 14. Also notice that chapter 13 ended with the number 666, it was a mark on the foreheads and, and arm. And chapter 14 begins with the number 144,000 with marks on the forehead. So that's that's why, again, I, I think when we talk about the mark of the beast, we have to be careful um, checking the news and see what chips they're going to put under our skin and saying that's the mark of the beast. Right? I, I do think we have to be careful with some of that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, and, and another thing we, we need to see here is that the Lamb is in Mount Zion. Remember, the beast comes out from the sea, false prophet comes from out the earth, right? It's, 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 uh, the scene is the earth there uh, with, with that false trinity. But with the Lamb, uh, it's, it's different. Now, there is some debate as to what exactly is meant by Mount Zion. Mount Zion in the Old Testament means Jerusalem, um, and um, in, in, uh, it can also mean heaven. Uh, so a lot of the times when we sing about Mount Zion in our hymns and worship songs, what we mean is heaven uh, um, or the promised land, stuff like that. Um, I think I think those are options, um, but I would take still a symbolic approach to, to Mount Zion. It really just means the, the presence of God. Um, and uh, so what we have is the Lamb uh, from Mount Zion, symbolically speaking, with him is all the elect, so that's the way we, we took 144,000, um, because 12 represents completion, the, the true Israel, if you will, and, and certainly all those who are redeemed are the true fulfillment of Israel, um, and, and so they are identified uh, with their father's name. And what they are doing, they're actually at the foot of, of the throne. You remember we, we saw that same scenes in chapter 5 and 6 where the four living creatures and the 24 elders and all that are at the uh, throne. And they were singing a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and before the elders. Now, in the Revelation, when you see new, you should make a note of it. And, and, and new signifies that, that the old songs are inadequate to describe what is being done or what has been done. Right? So we have a new song being sang now, now notice the, the contrast here. What you have is the worship of the beast um, in chapter 13, and now you have the worship of the lamb in chapter 14. And it, it's to the extent where the gathered elect are singing a new song. Uh, so so this, is, this is heightened worship, if, if you will. Well, from that comes the message of three angels. Uh, so it's similar to uh, the 
the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls in the sense that you have an angel doing something. But these are just three messages, very brief. They're just here in chapter 14. And there will be echoes of chapter 14 and chapter 18, but we'll cross those bridges whenever we, we get to chapter 18. Um, verse 6, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. So again, you, you should probably notice some parallelism here. Remember that the beast um, is rules over every nation, tribe, language, and people. He, 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 he gathers people from around the world to worship him, or really to worship the dragon. Uh, and the false prophet is, is a servant that draws people from around the world to, to worship the dragon and, and the beast. Well, here what we see is an angel flying with an eternal gospel, true worship, the true message of salvation, and, and eternal good news it, it, uh, is, is the language there. And the angel proclaims it. Now, I, what I don't think we should read this as saying angels are evangelists here. And this is all symbolism. What I think you have is a is a call to repentance that comes from God to the nations. And I believe it's through through His people. Um, and and notice that He says with loud voice, "Fear God, give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water." Um, now you notice here that. This call for repentance is a, is a warning of judgment. In fact, all three angels bring with them judgment. So the first angel is, is, a, is a final plea to embrace grace. And so we see once again the, 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 the uh, juxtaposition of grace and judgment, mercy and wrath, love and justice. They're, they're, they're right here. Now, it makes sense in Christianity because of the cross. At the cross, we see where these these two sides come together, where the grace of God is extended to sinners and the judgment of God is extended because of sinners. Um, here we see something similar. Uh, the gospel is preached as a warning uh, that those who do not embrace it will stand in judgment. And so this is a, a final plea from, from God. And then we meet a second angel. It's only one verse, verse 8. Um, and says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, you know, we're, we're confronted with a number of interpretive challenges. You'll notice that the second angel says, Fallen twice. Uh, I believe this is a quote from Isaiah and Daniel. Don't quote me on that, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's, that's correct. Um, in the ancient languages, you don't have italics or uh, quotation marks or scare quotes, I guess I should call them, underlying, you don't have highlighting, you don't have anything like that, that are a means of emphasis. So what you do in Biblical Hebrew is you repeat yourself. For example, there is evening, there is morning the first day, there is evening and the morning the second day, evening and morning the third day, and on and on and on. Um, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. All of that's in chapter 1. Uh, seven times, actually. Uh, Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? So, so we, we, get, um, we get, when you see repetition in particularly Old Testament, it's for emphasis. So you get fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Now the question is, who is Babylon here? Now Babylon's going to play a, a more important role later, I believe chapter 18. Um, but they're at least introduced here. And, and so there are options. Uh, one option is it's Rome. Remember we talked about Rome 
uh, yesterday from from uh, Revelation 13. Um, I think that's a real possibility. Uh, another possibility is Jerusalem. If you hold to a uh, preterist interpretation of, of Revelation, that is the view that says that all of Revelation was fulfilled before the destruction or was fulfilled by the destruction of the temple, um, um, then it has to be Jerusalem because it's Jerusalem that comes under judgment by Rome. right? Um, and so this would speak of the falling of, of Jerusalem. I, I take I, I, my general perspective of Revelation is that that you should be able to look back and, and see this judgment upon um, Rome, but it's also what you get in Rome is a pattern of nations and empires. So I take Babylon as both past, present, and future. Right? So yeah, I, I do believe we're we're getting judgment upon the empire of Rome, uh, which comes. And then you also get judgment upon present empires, uh, all of them, uh, because they, they all follow this, this pattern. We talked about it yesterday with the conversions of false religion and, and um, um, uh, villainous, if you will, uh, politics. And then the, the, perhaps there is a future Babylon the Great um, that, that will fall under the judgment and final judgment of God. So Babylon the Great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Again, this, this could be a metaphor uh, of, of the lust of the flesh and the worldly desires, or it's specific, sexual immorality. Uh, then there is a third angel, and cries out a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, which probably brings us back to the second angel, right? He mentions drinking the, the wine. Um, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of life. A couple of things. Notice the drinking of the cup reminds us of the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't it? Uh, and that, that language of drinking from a cup is, is common. Jesus even asked James and John, um, are you able to drink of the cup that awaits you? And they say, oh yeah, I can. And he's like, well, you will. You ain't ready for it right now. Um, so the drinking of the cup is, is usually a, a metaphor, a symbol of God's wrath. Jesus takes God's wrath upon himself at, at the cross. And so the, the drink, the wine of passion, leads to uh, the judgment of God, drinking of, of God's wine, uh, which is judgment. And you also notice mentions fire and sulfur. Uh, this, of course, is a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, but, but that's really the only place where it's explicitly, uh, at least in narrative, but symbolically and prophetically, we see this with Edom and, and other places in, in the Bible, fire and sulfur. Um, and uh, it, its reference is back to the beast, worshiping the beast and, and the mark and what all that means. So uh, verse 11, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. So this is likely just a reference to hell. Now, now we've, we've seen, remember that, that if you're approaching Revelation as a chronology, you're, I think you're going to get confused because this language of judgment sounds like the sixth seal. It sounds like some of the trumpets. It'll sound like some of the bowls. And it'll sound like what'll come later. I think Revelation is more cyclical. It is, it is using a variety of apocalyptic and symbolic imagery to, to lift up the churches who, who need endurance, which is what we're, we're about to come to, um, and also need accountability, not to give in to the beast, Rome, 
uh, or or to Jezebel or the Nicolaitans, the false prophet, um, and rather to to endure that judgment will come down in a, in a variety of ways, but judgment will come down. Um, and Christ will return if you endure. And that's what we get in verse 12. Here is a call for endurance of the saints. That is the 144,000. That's the way I take it. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Now, remember that, that we didn't read this part. But early on in chapter 14, the 144,000 are those characterized by holiness they are blameless. They speak the truth, whereas the beast and false prophet speak deceit and blasphemies. The 144,000 speak truth, and they follow Jesus wherever he goes. They follow the Lamb. Right? So you'll get that, particularly in verse 4. Um, um, so the 144,000 are just the gathered elect. All right? and, and the message is to them, thus to us, to endure through suffering. Suffering is not the absence of God, but rather it draws us to God. And as we wait with anticipation, his kingdom come and eternal peace and rest be granted. And so in chapter uh, six, the fifth seal, we saw uh, God uh, or the lamb um, giving robes upon the, the martyred saints uh, that, that to, to, to wait a little while longer. We, we see, and that's then followed by the sixth year, where it's judgment of the day of the Lord. So we're seeing here in chapter 14 to, yes, judgment is coming, justice will reign, but in the meantime, endure. Endure. And we would say that to the church today. Endure. For the day will come when justice will reign. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow. I plan on doing a devotion tomorrow. Going to take Thursday and Friday off, which will be the first two days I've missed from the very beginning, like March 8th, and then we'll pick up. So I don't think we'll finish uh, Revelation in 2020. I think we'll technically finish in 2021, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there whenever we get there. Hope to see you tomorrow.